ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we've been talking about the various principles that a person must be aware of and remember when it comes to the issue of takfir, the issue of declaring somebody to be a non-Muslim, it is a very dangerous issue and it is not for anybody to go around declaring other people to be non-Muslims. So we have been looking at these principles and today we come to number 10. Principle number 10 says, أَنَّ الْأَصْلِ فِي الْحُكْمِ عَلَى النَّاسِ هُوَ الظَّاهِرِ وَاللَّهُ يَتَوَلَّى السَّرَائِرِ That the ruling upon people, it is made upon the apparent. And Allah will deal with the inner Intentions of people. فَلَيْسَ لِأُمَّتِهِ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ إِلَّا الْحُكْمِ بِحَسْبِ الظَّاهِرِ وَقَبُولِ لِأَنَّنَا لَا نَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ وَالرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ أَمَرَنَا بِقَبُولِ الظَّاهِرِ So we must accept what is apparent from people. We do not know what is in their hearts and what they hide and what they conceal. We can only rule upon the apparent. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ informed us of. Just like it is mentioned regarding the hadith or the narration of Usama ibn Zayd. Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu anhu it is mentioned in that narration how he had killed an individual, one of the mushrikeen who had run away. Musama ibn Zayd caught up to him. Caught up to him. And when he caught up to him, the man said, La ilaha illallah. Accepted the shahada. But Usama ibn Zayd killed him. Anyway. Because he assumed that this kafir who had run away was only saying the shahada now because he knew otherwise he would be killed. So Usama ibn Zayd thought he's only saying it now pretending. Just so I don't kill him. So he killed him. But then afterwards when the Prophet ﷺ found out about this, that in that situation where the kafir was fleeing, and then Usama ibn Zayd had caught up to him. And that the man had now apparently taken shahada. But Usama ibn Zayd had assumed he was only doing that to protect himself from being killed. So he killed him. When the Prophet ﷺ heard about that, he was not pleased with that. He was not pleased with that. The Prophet ﷺ said, to Usama ibn Zayd, أَقَالَ لَا إِلَٰهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ 
Did he say La ilaha illallah and you still killed him? قال قلت يا رسول الله إنما قالها خوفا من السلاح. Usama ibn Zayd said, O Messenger of Allah, he only said that then, fearing that I was going to kill him. He only said that just for that. But the Prophet ﷺ then said, أَفَلَا شَقَقْتَ عَنْ قَلْبِهِ حَتَّى تَعْلَمَ أَقَالَهَا أَمْ لَا فَمَا زَالَ يُكَرِّرُهَا عَلَيَّ حَتَّى تَمَنَّيْتُ أَنِّي أَسْلَمْتُ يَوْمَ إِذٍ So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Did you split open his chest to see what his intention was? Did you split open his chest to know whether he was saying that just to defend himself or whether he actually believed it and accepted it? Did you open up his chest to know that? You knew he was only pretending? And the Prophet ﷺ kept saying this to Usama ibn Zayd until Usama ibn Zayd said, that I wished, I wished, I had not been Muslim before that day. Meaning, that I wished I had accepted Islam just then, and my action would have therefore been forgiven. Islam, once you accept it, wipes out your sins. He said, I wish I had only accepted Islam then, and so my action, that one, would have been wiped out. Because he recognized it was a mistake. So the point of that was, that, if that person was now saying the shahada, accepting the shahada, we can only judge him upon what's apparent. If he is apparently now saying the shahada, accepting it, we have to believe that now, we have to accept that, we can't say you're pretending and not accept the shahada from someone. وَمِن ذَلِكَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ قَدْ أَخْبَرَ نَبِيَّهُ عَنِ الْمُنَافِقِينَ الَّذِينَ كَانُوا بَيْنَ الظَّهْرَانِيَ أَصْحَابِهِمْ مُقِيمِينَ مَعْتَقِدِينَ لِلْكُفْرِ وَعَرَّفَهُ إِيَّاهُمْ بِأَعْيَانِهِمْ ثُمَّ لَمْ يُبِحْلَهُ قَتْلَهُمْ وَصَبْيَهُمْ إِذَا كَانُوا يُظْهِرُونَ الْإِسْلَامَ بِأَسِينَتِهِمْ Another example that shows you have to accept people on the face value of what they claim. And you can't really start saying, but internally it's this, internally it's that. You don't know. An example of that is even the munafiqoon. The hypocrites at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, did Allah not inform the messenger about who they are? The Prophet ﷺ knew about hypocrites. Knew them. Which ones? Knew some of them about these hypocrites, which ones they are. And they were living amongst the Muslims, pretending to be Muslim. Yet, the Prophet ﷺ, was not permitted to go and kill them. Knowing that they are munafiq, they are kufar, only pretending to be Muslim, this one and that one and that one. Knew them which ones. But he didn't go and kill them. Didn't go and kill them. Left them because the ruling was upon the apparent. If he went and killed now a particular person, person A, which Allah had revealed to him, he is a munafiq. To the people, do the people know he's a munafiq? Everybody else in the community still sees him coming to the mosque, still sees him doing everything, he's pretending to be Muslim. Munafiq, everybody sees him, what they see is that he is Muslim. 
He's one of the community. If the Prophet ﷺ, being given the revelation, knows he's a munafiq, went and killed him, what would everybody start saying? That the word may spread amongst the people in the different areas, the Prophet Muhammad kills his own people. Because as far as everybody's concerned, that was a Muslim. They don't know he's a munafiq. So the word might start spreading that Prophet Muhammad kills his own people. So he wouldn't go kill them. Because apparently they were showing that they are upon Islam and pretending upon Islam. So the ruling given was to leave them upon that state. Because otherwise people would start to say Muhammad kills his own companions. So the ruling is, we can't judge people on their hearts. We don't know what's inside of the heart of a person. We rule upon the people in that which is apparent. Principle number 11, and that principle number 10 is important because then it rules out the people of deviation who start saying, but the ruler this and the ruler that. You don't know. You can't make judgments upon the ruler what he believes and what his aqidah is. So you can't judge that ruler in his aqidah, in his internal belief or any other Muslim. You judge the people upon the apparent. The man prays, the man goes to the mosque, the man says the shahada. You can't say, no, he's kafir, he's kafir, he does this and we believe this about him or that about him. You can't judge the people upon what you think is in their hearts. He is praying, he goes to the mosque, he says shahada. And you judge the person upon the apparent. The internal, if it was something bad, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with that person on the day of judgment. Number 11. الأمر الكفري إذا كان يحتمل الكفر وغيره لم يحكم بأنه كفر حتى يتبين. Principle number eleven is, and this is very important too. If an action is ambiguous, an action is ambiguous. Somebody does something which perhaps could be on the borderline of being kufr. But then again, if viewed in a different context of what he did, it may actually not be. So it's one of those in that gray area, somebody does something, it's apparently something which is kufr, but there is a possibility there could be an interpretation to what he did, which would not make it kufr. In that circumstance, you cannot rule upon the person as having committed kufr until you determine which one what was the context and what was he doing? If it's a situation where there's a bit of a 50-50, was his action an action of kufr? Or with a certain understanding of why he did it and an interpretation of why he did it, it may not be kufr. Then in that case, you can't make the ruling upon him of kufr until you determine which one is it, why did he do it, what did he do exactly. So whenever there's an action that has a possibility of being kufr, or a possibility of not being kufr, you need to go and investigate to determine what the person actually exactly did to see whether he falls into kufr or not. You can't just say, well, that action generally, it is something that is on the borderline, etc. So kufr, you can't do that. وَإِذَا كَانَ لَا إِلَى إِلَيْهِ غَيْرُ الْكُفْرِ حُكِمَ بِكُفْرِ صَاحِبِهِ بَعْدَ ثُبُوتِ شُرُوطٌ تِفَاءِ الْمَوَانِعِ Otherwise, like we've said, if he does an action that is absolutely otherwise normally an action of kufr, 
then that is a general action of kufr. You can't rule upon him specifically as being a kafir until you go and establish the proof and remove the doubts. There is a narration In fact, there are a few narrations that are mentioned about this particular topic, uh, indicating how when there is an action that could possibly be interpreted in one way, and it could possibly be interpreted in another way, that those actions, you cannot declare them to be kufr until you establish and determine what the correct interpretation of them is. That is important too, because nowadays the khawarij and their likes, when they see the ruler doing something, and that action appears to be something not in the sharia, straight away their ruling is kafir, kafir. You need to look, what did he do exactly, why did he do it, is it really kufr what, did, what he did, is that action really considered kufr, you need to look into it, when something has a possibility of this or that. So that is the principle being mentioned here, when something has a possibility of either this or that, you can't just... Take the ruling of kufr, rather you must look into it to see whether he really did do an action of kufr or not. Number 12, أمر التكفير للمعين من المسلمين لا بد فيه من قيام الحجة وثبوت شروط وانتفاء الموانع والحاكم المسلم أكد الشارع هذا في حقه. When we said before, a person does something which is from the actions of kufr. The action is an action of kufr. You can't rule upon him as being a kafir yet though, until you establish the evidence and remove the doubts. The person in authority should do that. The ruler, the person in authority should do that. To look into that situation, to remove the doubts, to explain the principles to that person, to establish the evidence upon that person. Uh, and so, uh, it, it's mentioned in some narrations where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, or the, the companions they said, The Prophet ﷺ called us and we gave our pledge of allegiance to him. فَقَالْ فِيمَا أَخَذَ عَلَيْنَا أَنْ بَايَعْنَاهَا this is the point. That we do not declare a ruling upon someone until we see clear kufr upon which Allah has revealed evidences for. This is something that the people of innovation have misunderstood. Because the hadith says, إِلَّا أَن تَرَوْ كُفْرًا بَوَاحًا عِنْدَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ فِيهِ بُرْهَانٍ Until you see clear kufr that you have evidence from Allah upon. وَعَلَى هَذَا فَإِنَّ مُجَرَّدَ الظَّنِّ وَالشَّكِّ لَا يَصِحْ مَعَهُ الْحُكُمْ بِكُفْرِ الْحَاكِمِ Therefore, suspicion and hearsay that is not enough to declare anybody a ruler or other than that as a kafir. Suspicion alone isn't enough. You need definitive proof. وَمَا دَامَ الْحَالِ كَذَلِكَ يُرْجَعْ إِلَى الْأَصْلِ وَهُوَ الْحِكْمِ بِإِسْلَامِهِ The default is he's a Muslim. And you cannot just exit somebody from Islam 
until you see that clear kufr with evidences upon it. فَلَا يُحْكَمْ بِكُفْرِهِ زِيَادَةً عَلَى ثُبُوتِ الشُّرُوطِ وَانْتِفَاءِ الْمَوَانِعِ وَقِيَامِ الْحُجَّةِ حَتَّى تَتَحَقَّقْ خَمْسَةْ أُمُورِ Five important points here. Number one. أَنْ نَرَى مِنْهُ كُفْرًا فَأَحَالَ إِلَى الرُّؤْيَةِ وَالْأَصَلْ أَنَّهَا الرُّؤْيَةِ الْبَصَرِيَّةِ وَالْمُرَادْ أَنْ يَتَحَقَّقْ هَذَا الْأَمْرِ مِنَ الْحَاكِم Firstly, that you must clearly see that a ruler is committing kufr. And it can't just be hearsay or reports coming in. Something which has been witnessed and evidenced from the ruler committing kufr. Number one is that. So it can't just be hearsay and rumors. Must be something seen and witnessed from the ruler doing. That is clear kufr. Secondly, أن يكون ذلك ثابتا للجماعة وهذا مأخوذ من دلالة واو الجماعة إلا أن تروا كفرا بواحا That must be something which is evidenced by the masses Not just one person coming along and saying I saw the ruler doing this and that and that's kufr It requires people Requires multiple people to establish that evidence Not one person coming and saying the ruler I know he does this that I saw him therefore he's a kafir can't be just like that. Needs evidence, multiple people witnessing and reporting this. Thirdly, أن يكون الأمر كفراً That the action then, let's say you got the reports now, the actual action has to be an action of kufr, not just a major sin. These people now, they say the ruler, for example, I saw one once, they said the ruler, we've got a picture of him, the king of Saudi Arabia or something, they were saying, I don't know what, the king of Saudi or the king of Jordan or somebody, they said, we got a picture from a newspaper, from some newspaper company, where the, the king is shaking hands with a woman. Some woman politician or woman prime minister from another country or something. They said, is it allowed to shake the hand of a non-mahram woman? Allowed or not? Not allowed. We said, look, that's one of the reasons. You're going to declare him kafir because of that? So the actual action has to be kufr. That, okay, sin. It's a sin. Does it make you kafir? Of course not. So the third point is, against the ruler, if you're going to say things like that, it needs to actually be something which is an act of kufr. Not just the ruler has committed some sin, he's done this, he's done that in his country, and they are all sins. Sins is one thing. Sins doesn't make you a kafir. So if you're going to talk about those things, you've got to bring something which is actually clear, kufr the action. Not just sins. The ruler's got cinemas in his country. Okay, it's a sin. Doesn't make you a kafir. The ruler in the Muslim country, they have places where they serve alcohol. Sin. Doesn't make you a kafir. So if you want to talk about those things, bring something which is an actual action of kufr. Don't just bring sins. Everybody does sins. These uh, khawarij and takfiris and uh, hizb tahrir and muhajirun and these people, they bring you these things. You said to them, these are sins. You probably do more sins than that by twice as much. So don't try to bring sins to us and say the rulers are kuffar because of sins. So the third point here is it must be an actual action of kufr. Otherwise, don't waste time. Arabia and yakuna zahiran. Number four, that it must be something apparent. We were talking before about ruling upon the apparent as well. In this hadith, it says kufran bawahan, something apparent. So you can't just have a group of people saying, you know, secretly that ruler in his palace, he does X, Y, and Z in his palace, and that's all kufr and shirk. Secretly, that type of thing, you can't make rulings like that. 
needs to be something clear and apparent and seen and known. Otherwise, you can't make rulings upon secret things that a few people are secretly saying the ruler does this, does that. It needs clear, apparent rulings. Fifth, عندنا في هذا الأمر الدليل والبرهان والحجة من الله تعالى في أنه كفر فالأمر المختلف فيه لا يكفر به. So now let's say you've done all the first four. You got a bunch of people. It's something clear and apparent. It's been seen. It is an action of kufr. Then at the end, the fifth thing is, okay, this action which is an action of kufr, is it something agreed upon by all the scholars that this particular action is an action of kufr? If it is, now you fulfill those points, you can start looking into the issue about maybe the ruler is kafir. If it is one of those issues where it is not agreed upon by the scholars that this action is kufr in the first place, it's differed over, difference of opinion whether it's kufr or not, then you can't make takfir of the person. You can't say he's a kafir. It's differed about. Some scholars have mentioned that there are interpretations about it. You can't declare kafir for somebody who does this. Difference of opinion like that, then you can't declare him kafir. Must be something clear with evidence. It is kufr. So you can see, to declare somebody kafir isn't just easy like that. Isn't just left, right and center, everybody kafir, this one kafir, that one kafir. You need some clear evidence as proofs and witnessing and all types of things. It's not easy just to say everybody's kafir, this one's kafir, that ruler's kafir, this ruler's kafir. So it is very dangerous and it is very precise evidences and proofs before you can declare somebody kafir. And that's why nobody does that except the scholars, the big scholars, the people of knowledge. They can do all of these things and look into all of these principles and then in the end, they may come to the conclusion that somebody is a kafir. And there are people, they have declared as kuffar, Bashar, Assad, the Syrian ruler, kafir. Scholars have declared him kafir. There's no doubt about that. That doesn't mean what is happening in Syria is halal and everybody go. That is the khawaris themselves anyway. The scholars have said all of that fighting going on in those places, it is not permissible for you to go and join. It is not permissible for you to go and join at all. Not permissible for you to go and fight there. It is not jihad. It is all the different groups fighting each other, always politics, always group, always about land, always about they want to kick out the ruler and bring somebody else in who's going to be probably worse than him. And you've seen that in the other countries. You've seen that in the other countries. In Egypt and Libya and Tunisia and all these places. All of the time they say, the ruler is oppressive. The ruler is bad. Poverty in our country, no jobs, no this, no that. The ruler is a tyrant. We need to remove him. That's how it starts, doesn't it? Every time. In all those countries, what they call the Arab Spring. All the same thing. The ruler is this, the ruler is bad, the government is bad. We have to do something, we have to rebel, we have to remove them. So they did it. In Libya, they removed him. They removed Gaddafi, killed him. What did they get afterwards? Now the Libyans are saying, we wish Gaddafi was back. Because at least when he was there, there was no bombing on the streets, there was no shooting on the streets. Now people are going, one of my friends, his mother driving on the street, shot in the head, just like that. People shooting, killing, taking everything, looting, no authority, nobody in charge, no police, chaos. Even, give you an example, even in Iraq, you know there are some people now, Sunni Iraqis, they say we wish Saddam Hussein was back. After everything which has happened now, some of them they say, this is them, I'm quoting them. 
They said, we wish he was back. Because at least he was, when he was there, he was a tyrant. He was evil. Some of the scholars even said he was kafir. Saddam Hussein. When he died, then what is narrated is that he took the shahada, he was holding the Qur'an, reading the Qur'an. So scholars said, don't say it, just leave it. Don't say he's a kafir. Just Whatever he was, Allah will deal with him now. So don't say he's kafir now. He's died, he was reading the Qur'an before he died, everything. His affair, whatever happens, Allah will deal with him. But the point is, some people now, even there they say, we wish he was back. He was a tyrant, he used to kill people, he used to do lots of things. But at least you could go out of your house, you could walk to the shop, supermarket, buy your milk, come back, take your kid to school. You could do everything, calm. You could do all of that. Now you can't. Now you want to take your kid to school, on the way maybe there's a bomb on the road. Chaos everywhere, chaos. Because the people, they follow the way of the khawarij. They say, oh, the ruler is a tyrant, we need to go. Sometimes the rulers may be tyrants. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ said, there are going to be rulers. They are bodies like men, but their hearts are like the hearts of devils. They may be. But does that mean every time that said, let's pick up our weapons and go and fight? Never. Doesn't mean like that. These countries everywhere they did it, not a single success. All of them chaos everywhere. Egypt, they said, oh, he's a tyrant, he's this, he's that, there's no employment, there's no jobs, he's poverty, corruption, they removed him. Another government came, all chaos, removed them, new one, all messing around. No stability, no nothing. In Libya now, everybody fighting, everybody wants to be the new ruler, all killing each other. Now they're killing each other. First everybody, Gaddafi is the bad one, need to fight him. He's gone, now everybody killing each other, we want to be in charge. Chaos, that shows they didn't do it for the sake of Allah. They didn't do it for the sake of Tawheed, to spread Tawheed. They all did it for power themselves. All of the tribes want to be in charge now. And that's the same in all these countries. In Iraq, the fighting going on, other places fighting going on. All about power, authority, land, politics. So that's why the scholars, they say, it is haram for you to go join in these things. Haram for you to go and join and make it even worse. They're not fighting jihad. It's all corruption, fighting each other, killing each other, Sunni, Sunni, everything. It's chaos. This isn't the way. Is this how it used to happen at the time of the Prophet ﷺ? Never. This type of chaos, killing men, women, children, all types of things. Suicide bombs on buses and cafes. Haram, all of this they've learned it from the shaitan. This is not from the religion of Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. So, when it comes to the issue of rulers, it's not just like saying the ruler has done some bad things so we need to go and rebel. It's not like that. The Prophet ﷺ said, upon you is to listen and obey. Because listening and obeying and making dua for the ruler is better than trying to go out and fight him. You know the Salaf, one of the Salaf, he said, if I had one dua that I knew was definitely going to be accepted, who did he say he would make it for? The ruler. Imagine now somebody said to you, you got one dua, definitely going to be accepted. Most of the people, they will make it for themselves, their family, get some good thing. If you're told one dua, definitely accept it. What do you want? They all do it for themselves and their family. One of the salaf, he said, if I had one dua which was definitely going to be accepted, then I would do it for the ruler. I would ask Allah, make him a good ruler. Why? He said, because if I make dua just for myself and my family, okay, we good then. We'll be okay. But what about the rest of the country and the people and where we're living in the community? And even if my family is in luxury, if they're all uh, extremists and bad people and thieves in the country, then what's the point? He said, it's better I make dua for the ruler to be made good, because if Allah makes the ruler good, then the ruler will make all of our country 
good and successful and we'll be living happily everybody in this country and our family will be happy everywhere, be safe everywhere. So he said in that case, if I have one dua, I will make it for the ruler, Allah make him good. Because if Allah makes him good, then the country will be good and we'll all live happily, safely, securely. That is how it is. Nowadays the people the opposite. When they see something bad from the ruler, instead of making dua to Allah, oh Allah rectify him, make him good, make him upright, make him leave these bad things and be good. Instead of doing that, straight away, oh Allah curse him, destroy him, kill him. That is wrong. That is not the way of the sunnah. It is not the way of the sunnah. The way of the sunnah is to make dua for the rulers. Ask Allah to make them good, to make them strong, to help the religion, to make it easy for people to practice, to open up mosques, open up schools, to make things good so Muslims can learn and properly educate themselves, live in good Muslim environments and countries. Make dua for the rulers, not dua against the rulers. Dua against the rulers is bringing corruption. Make dua, Allah makes them good. You're not going to uh, make dua against them and go fight against them. Why don't you just make dua, Allah makes them good. Everybody in your country, 10 million people living in the country, all of them make dua that that ruler is made good. And if Allah makes him good, then all those people will be happy, relaxing. None of this war and looting and fighting and killing and men and women and children and bombs. None of that. All of you make dua, Allah makes him good instead. Instead of making dua, Allah destroy him and do this and do that. So the way of the sunnah is that you make dua for the ruler. Ask Allah to make him good. Ask Allah to make him strong. And don't expect. You know, people these days, they are very unjust. Everybody is saying the ruler is bad and the ruler is this and the ruler is that and we need a better ruler. What do you think you're going to get? The narration mentions, إِنَّمَا يُوَلَّ عَلَيْكُمْ كَمَا تَكُونُ You will get a ruler in accordance to how you are. There's a narration. You will get a ruler in accordance to how you are. If you yourselves are sinners, you don't pray properly, you don't pray your five prayers, you do sin, you do alcohol, you do cigarettes, you do sins and sins in the society, then you think you're going to get Abu Bakr Siddiq as your ruler? You people are so bad like this, you think you're going to get a sahabi to come be your ruler? Sort yourselves out and fix yourselves. The narration says you will get a ruler same as yourselves. You will get a ruler same as yourselves. If you're upon corruption, you're not practicing your religion, haram going on in your houses, outside of your houses, your prayer abandoned, the Quran abandoned, the aqidah you don't know, nothing, then your ruler you get is going to be same as you. Just like you're doing sins and wrongs, you'll get a ruler who's the same as you. And that's exactly how it is. These people who complain now the ruler is bad and the ruler is this and the ruler is that, they themselves, are they practicing like the sahaba? They themselves probably don't even get up and pray Fajr. But the ruler is this and the ruler is that. What do you expect then? You yourselves are upon corruption. You yourselves cannot even get up and pray Fajr. And you're talking about the ruler being bad. Sort yourselves out and be proper and pious. Make dua and inshallah ta'ala Allah will make the ruler good and your country good for you. But when you are upon corruption yourselves, you're upon sins yourselves, then what do you expect? You're not going to get a good ruler like that. You're not going to get good situation when you are sinning yourselves. So it is about rectifying yourself and it is not about making complaints against the ruler and against other Muslims. Principle number 13 لا تكفير بالمعاصي والذنوب وإن كانت كبائر ما لم تستحل Sins do not make a person a kafir. Even if they are major sins. This is an important thing to remember. Sins do not make a person a kafir even if they are major sins. 
As long as the person doesn't believe them to be halal and declare them to be halal, he knows their sins. Somebody who does a sin, he's not declaring it to be halal, he's not declaring it to be something his aqidah is in. He does a sin, he knows it's a sin. Sins don't make a person a kafir. It could be the worst sin. Fornication, adultery, major sin or not. Major sin. Does it make you kafir? No. There is the narration about the woman Al-Ghamadiyya, the famous narration. A woman, she committed adultery. So she came to the Prophet ﷺ because she realized. When she did it, afterwards she realized 100% she made a big mistake. She repented sincere to Allah. Sincere repentance, genuine, 100%. Sincere repentance, she repented. And she came to the Prophet ﷺ and she admitted. She said, I did such and such, I did the fornication, adultery, etc. And that she had made the sincere repentance, but obviously... Even with the sincere repentance, the ruling of Islam is stoning. stoning. So she came to the Prophet ﷺ and she said that I've you know, done this action and Islamically now I have to tell you I've done the action, I need to be stoned. The Prophet ﷺ didn't listen to her. She came back three or four times. He didn't pay attention to her. It became apparent later a bit that she was actually pregnant. She had become pregnant from that adultery. So then the Prophet said to her, go until you give birth. So she went until she gave birth. Then she came back. She had made a sincere repentance and she knew she had to get stoned. So when she gave birth, she came back to the Prophet a few months later. She said, I gave birth. I need to have the punishment prescribed upon me, the law of Allah. I made the error. I repented sincerely. I know, I know this has to be done. The Prophet said, the child, go and breastfeed him. Because the child can be breastfed for the first two years. Prophet said, go breastfeed the child. She went for two years, came back after two years. Sincere repentance she had made, came back after two years. She said, now I still need to have the punishment prescribed upon me. So then now she'd given birth. She uh, breastfed the child for two years. Now the child was okay. Two years old, he's eating foods and everything. The child was looked after by somebody else and the Prophet ﷺ said, now the prescribed punishment can be done. So it was done. She was stoned and she died. The janazah was done. And it is mentioned in some narrations that the Prophet ﷺ himself prayed the janazah. Even though she was somebody who had admitted to doing adultery. They said to the Prophet ﷺ, how come you pray janazah on her? In one narration it says, how come you pray janazah on her? He said, her tawbah, her repentance that she made, if her repentance was shared out between the people of Medina, it would be enough for everybody in Medina. Meaning her repentance was a genuine, genuine repentance. She knew she had made the error. She made a sincere, genuine repentance. He said her repentance, if it was shared out, it would be enough for everybody in Medina. And so even he prayed on it in some narrations, it says. That shows you adultery, major sin, but it doesn't make you kafir. If it was kafir, the Prophet would have said, no janazah, nothing, go bury her with the kuffar. Another example. There was a man who committed suicide. When a man committed suicide, the Prophet ﷺ refused to pray janazah upon him. 
refused to pray janazah upon him. But he told the others, the rest of them, you go pray janazah on him. Why did he refuse himself? A man had committed suicide. He refused to pray the janazah on him. But he told the others, you go pray janazah on him. The fact that he told the others to go pray janazah on him shows that even somebody who committed suicide, major sin, doesn't make you a kafir. If it did, the Prophet would have said to them, no janazah, go bury him with the kuffar. Proves he was a Muslim. So why did he himself not pray? Huh? Exactly. To teach everyone a lesson. And that's why the Imams, imagine somebody commits suicide. Major sin, haram. If somebody in the Muslim community, somebody commits suicide, the Imam of the mosque shouldn't do the janazah. Shouldn't attend. Shouldn't attend the janazah. The big, the, like the, the respected people of the community, the elders and the respected people shouldn't attend the janazah. Everybody else go. Everybody else go and attend the janazah. But the big respected people of the community, the imam and the, the older, elder, respected people, they shouldn't go. That's how it is Islamically. Why shouldn't they go? So that everybody else, they'll say, okay, such and such isn't here, and the imam isn't here, and that other elder isn't here, the respected elders. Everybody will know they didn't come. So everybody will understand, and they'll learn from that. They'll see how bad it is that this person committed suicide, the, all the elders and the imam and the respected people, none of them came to his janazah. So they understand from that, it's such a big sin. But they know that it's still, the person is still Muslim, and we do still do the janazah. The imam of the mosque can say to the other people, somebody else, you leave the janazah, I'm not attending. So the janazah is to be done, but the respected people shouldn't go to it. To show everyone and teach them a lesson, we're not going to attend the janazah of somebody who committed suicide. That's how it is to be done Islamically. But the point is, the others do pray it, so that person is still a Muslim. So these major sins don't make you a kafir. Sins don't make you a kafir. You commit a sin, it's a major sin, you can be punished for it, you may go to hellfire for it, but it doesn't just make you a kafir committing a major sin. And that's an important point, because all of these takfiris, the points they make against the rulers... Always they're just points of major sins and sins. The ruler did this and he did that and interest and whatever. Sins, major sins. Not kufr and shirk. Sins don't make a person a kafir. So that's important to understand. The final principle today then, the final principle or the final two principles. The 14th one, الاستحلال أمر يرجع إلى الاعتقاد والقلب then this means when you declare something to be halal and it is actually haram. You believe and have aqidah and declare something to be halal when it is actually haram. It's two types. One type is that exits you from the fold of Islam. And that is when you know Allah has made something haram. Yet you, in your aqidah, you say, no, it is halal. Allah has made alcohol haram. Most people, Muslims who drink alcohol, they know it's haram. But if somebody comes along and says, okay, I've seen the evidences, I've seen the ayat that it's haram, I don't care, it's halal. I believe it to be halal. My aqidah is it's halal. That type of aqidah now is kufr. Allah is telling you it's haram, you're saying it's halal. 
Most people don't do that though. Most people who drink alcohol, they know. Even the, the ones who don't pray, nothing. You ask them, as a Muslim, is alcohol allowed? They know the answer is, no. They all know that. None of them say, no, it's halal, it's halal. No, none of them really say that. Even the ones who have no knowledge of Islam, they've never been practicing, never come mosque. Even them. You say to them, your, your parents are Muslim, you're born Muslims, alcohol, is, is it allowed? They will all tell you, no, we know it's haram. They all know that. So this is if somebody actually says, no, it's halal. My aqidah is it's halal. I have seen the ayat, I don't, I don't accept them, it's halal. That is kufr now when you start talking that type of way. Second one is, the second is what we just said there. So one is when a person says, I don't care, I believe it's halal. That can be kufr. The other one says, I know it's haram, I know I'm not saying it's halal, but I can't help myself. That one definitely isn't kafir. Because he's committing a sin, admittedly he's committing a sin, he knows it's a sin, that doesn't make him a kafir, it makes him a big sinner. The other one where he says, I don't care, I don't, I don't accept the ayat, it's halal, my aqidah is it's halal, that's where you get the real issue. Where somebody is now making something halal that Allah has made haram. This is what the takfiris always say about the rulers. They say, a particular ruler in his country, he allows interest in the banks. Interest is haram. They say he must believe in his heart that interest is halal and he doesn't care about the ayat where he says interest is haram. Allah has made business halal and has made interest haram. Ayah in the Quran. They say he must not believe in that. He must reject that. His aqidah must be that interest is halal. That's why he's allowing it. And therefore he is in that category which is kufr. How do you know that? How do you know he's in that category? What if he's just in the category, I know it's haram, but pressures are coming in from the other countries and these trade deals and everything, I've got no choice, I'm going to have to allow this interest in the accounts. How do you know it's not like that? How do you know? Is it possible to know? Impossible. The, the takfiris, they make the judgment. No, no, it must be that he declares it to be halal. And therefore he's a kafir. And you can't do that. You cannot declare what is in the heart of that person, why he's done it. So that is a key issue to remember as well. If you declare something to be halal when it's haram, that's dangerous. That's going on to kufr. But what the rulers are doing, how do you know that is the case? How do you know that is the case and it's not simply just a case of them knowing but sinning because of pressure and trade deals and politics and whatever else. So you cannot make rulings upon rulers like that, that they are kufar. The final principle, أن المرجع في أمور التكفير وتنزيلها على الواقع هم ولاة الأمر من العلماء والأمر وليس ذلك متروكا لأحد الناس. Imagine all of these principles we've spoken about, all of them apply. There's a particular person, you go through these principles one by one, every single one seems to apply to him. 14 we've gone through now. You go through this book one by one thinking about a particular person, everything applies to him. So now, can you come to a conclusion? Therefore, khalas, he's kafir then. Still, it's not for you to do that. Not for you. You can sit there, go through these 14 principles and say, I've gone through it, analyzed it one by one. Every one of them applies to this person. You can't make the judgment upon him. It's the scholars and the people of knowledge who are going to go through these principles and then determine if a particular person, they are all applicable to him and he's kafir or not. It's not for you or me. 
We've sat here now, done these 14 principles. That doesn't mean you can now sit down and say, okay, such and such a ruler, this one applies to him, that one applies to him, that one applies to him. All 14 are applying. That's it, he must be careful then. Not for you to do that. You understand the rules, you understand how it works. But it's the scholars and the people of knowledge who understand how to apply this properly. They are the ones who will examine and analyze and look into these principles onto a particular person and then reflect upon that and analyze it critically to determine whether really it can be said he's a kafir or not. So in the past, like we said, Saddam Hussein, many of the scholars said, it does everything applies to him, he is kafir. Only at the end of his life he was reading Quran, etc. So they said, okay, leave it, don't say he's a kafir. Whatever he was, Allah will hold his accountability. Gaddafi, scholars, they declared him kafir. For many years ago, all of these things, the rules, they examined, applied. So there are certain people, there are certain people where it can be applied and they may be declared kufar. But it's not for you or me to do that. It is for the scholars and the people of knowledge to do that. So when these guys on the streets are walking around telling you the ruler of Saudi is a kafir and the ruler of Jordan is a kafir and the ruler of Kuwait is a kafir and of Emirates is a kafir and this and that, then all of their speech is rubbish. They are not the ones who are going to determine who's a kafir and who's not. They won't even know these. All these people who come to you on the street, Al-Muhajirun, Hizb tahrir these people, they say Saudi ruler and Kuwaiti ruler and these ruler, the kuffar, you say to them, what are the 14 principles? What are the 14 principles to determine if somebody is a kafir? They won't even know two of them, let alone 14. So how have they done it? Nonsense. They don't know any of the principles, any of the evidences, nothing. Kafir, kafir, kafir. So it is not like that and you need to be very careful with that. In this introduction then, what have we learned? We've learned it is a very dangerous topic. This topic of declaring somebody a kafir. It's not something you just do willy-nilly like that. Lots of principles, lots of analysis you need to look into, evidences before you can declare somebody a kafir. And even then it's not going to be you who does that, it's going to be the scholars who does that. That after the introduction means that from next week we will look at 10 specific actions that are considered as actions of kufr. Remember a few principles back, we were talking about how an action can be an action of kufr. Doesn't mean necessarily that a person specifically who does it is automatically a kafir. You would have to examine his situation. But there are actions overall that are actions of kufr. We're going to look at 10 of those. 10 actions that are overall actions of kufr. So we're going to start with that from next week. Uh, looking into these 10 specific deeds or actions a person may do, which are actions of kufr. So they are of the utmost danger and severity upon a person's religion because they may well mean that the person is kafir. Could mean that the person is kafir. If you're doing one of these 10 things, so these 10 things one by one inshallah we'll begin with them from next week uh, and we'll conclude upon that for today next week at the same time 7 p.m. inshallah wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam